Two things. My story, by necessity, deals a bit with child abuse. And uh, I'm just right at the tail end of a cold. So just be aware. There's like content warning. And most of the gags are going to come from me sounding like a pris piss poor Leonard Cohen impersonator. <laughs> the scientist that I want to talk about, Elizabeth Loftus, essentially established that a lot of what you think about yourself and the world could be inaccurate, or in some instances, completely fabricated. I'm not saying that everyone should spend every morning bewildered and shuddering, adrift and swamped by waves of doubt. <laughs> but if you are, there's a good evidence backing that you aren't being unreasonable. My scientists showed that memories can be shaped from the outside, after the fact, by people who may or may not be focused on your best interests. Loftus herself has been very open about having memories that lots of people would choose to change. She was abused by a babysitter at age six. When she was 14, her mother drowned in a backyard pool. Later in her teen years, she watched her house burn to the ground from the street. At one point after that, she found out that a boyfriend had broken up with her because she was Jewish. Through her career, she was subject to further sexism and anti-Semitism. Loftus knows trauma both theoretically and personally. Life improved when she left school. Loftus completed a PhD in mathematical psychology in Stanford, at Stanford in 1970, despite finding most of the content uninspiring. Her mind wandered to the extent that she spent many lectures hemming skirts or writing letters. Underestimated by her otherwise entirely male cohort, her class took bets about when she would drop out of the course she was voted at least likely to succeed in her graduating year. She would go on to be one of the most lauded and awarded figures in modern psychology. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> her steps towards this recognition started after moving away from mathematical psychology. Loftus started looking at memory after taking an assistant professorship at the University of Washington in 73. An example of her early research found that asking people to name a bird that is yellow produced answers faster than asking people to name a yellow bird. This doesn't seem immediately useful, but if you've ever run a trivia night for psychological scientists, it comes up regularly. And everyone just says canary regardless. In another of Loftus's early studies, people were shown footage of a car crash. Some were asked how fast the cars were going when they contacted each other. Some were asked how fast, fast the cars were going when they smashed into each other. The group answering the more dramatic question gave markedly higher estimates of the speeds involved. Again, some people derided Loftus's research as pointless, just confirming what everyone knows already. But to scientifically establish the impact of emotive language is a pretty big deal. It went further. People who were asked if they saw the stop sign remembered seeing a sign more often than people who were asked if they saw a stop sign, and so on. The people who were providing these different answers had as much faith in their memories as anyone else. Everyone starts with faith in, faith in their memories. If a memory is there, we don't necessarily even question it. Science isn't really across how memory is encoded, stored, and accessed but we know it's not the same as saving political gifts on your phone. 
The more we find out about how memory works, the further we move from seeing it as a reliable computer or even an independent document. For example, you're more likely to remember something about yourself if it agrees with how you see yourself. And more often you remember an event, the more vulnerable the memory is to increasing inaccuracy. Loftus saw the implications of this growing body of research and became thoroughly embroiled in the application of this new knowledge through the justice system. Her impact on the understanding of memory and her willingness to take a high-profile role in the promotion of this understanding helped free innocent people and helped promote better and more ethical practice in psychotherapy. It also resulted in people sending her death threats and suing her. The scene for this aggression against Loftus was a failed, was a media-fueled obsession. In the US in the early 90s, there was a spate of convictions based on recovered memories. The idea behind recovered memories is that people repress traumatic events as, coping, as a coping mechanism and that the memories of these events can stay unconscious for decades but still impact their daily lives. In the 80s and 90s, psychological talking therapies were rapidly becoming more acceptable and popular. As people visited therapists more, they obviously spent a lot of time talking about their youths and the impact that events from their past could have on their current lives. A number of therapists use leading questions and framing techniques to try and excavate the things that might, people might have repressed. Their intentions were almost certainly good. They saw people suffering from symptoms that are often associated with trauma and tried to open up the history behind them. Without an understanding of the impact that their questioning and suggestion techniques could have, they led a number of patients to recall extremely vivid and traumatic memories. This resulted in convictions for assault, abuse, and murder. The accusations made during this period range from the per perfectly plausible to the completely impossible. Roseanne Barr was on the cover of People magazine sharing horrifying memories, adding to the cultural impetus. While this was happening, Loftus was regularly serving as an expert witness in court on eyewitness reliability. She went on to provide expert witness testimony on more than 250 cases, including the Oklahoma City bombing and the O.J. Simpson trial. The pivotal moment in the development of her research about recovered memories came in a case where a man called George Franklin was accused by his daughter of the murder of her best friend 20 years earlier when she was eight. The recovered memories provided by Franklin's daughter were the primary evidence used to send him to jail for life. Loftus reviewed the literature around repression and found it unconvincing. She then undertook a series of research projects to prove that recovered memories were not reliable enough to put people in jail. She expanded the evidence base that recovered memories were at best unreliable and was instrumental in changing the way that the justice system in the US and here viewed testimony from memory. Her research in this period demonstrated that it was possible to implant a memory that never occurred, especially when the memory is seeded by someone in a position of trust, like a therapist or parent. The seminal experiment has come to be known as the Lost in the Mall study. In this experiment, 25% of participants had a memory successfully implanted of getting lost in a particular mall and being rescued by a kindly, elderly, bald man in a stripy jumper who bought them an ice cream. The event 
didn't occur for any of the people in the study. This was the first of many successful implantation experiments. Loftus's results were, mixed with, were met with mixed reactions. Her efforts were obviously appreciated by the innocent people set free as a result of her expert testimony. But it wasn't a simple role to play, especially in a justice system which so often makes things extremely difficult for the victims of abuse. In addition, being told that a memory you have is not real is a horrifyingly disorienting thing, more so when the memory may have put one or both of your parents behind bars. Loftus and her colleagues were attacked by laypeople and psychologists alike. In a wide-ranging debate in the media and academic literature that came to be known as the memory wars. As with most disputes, thousands of words of editorializing running the length of the decade didn't resolve anything. Loftus had to stand behind her research and was, and was continuously vindicated by replicating studies. Despite her resolution, you can see in interviews that she accepts the, exp the expanding trauma of the people who've been given these false memories. She's only really critical of the practitioners who evoked the recovered memories. In her acceptance speech for the Scientific Freedom and Responsibility Award in 2010, Loftus said that she never imagined she would become the target of organized and relentless vitriol and harassment. In her words, Loftus feels it is the role of science to push back against even the most cherished beliefs that reflect unsubstantiated myths. Loftus came out on the other side of the memory wars with a vital body of research and a tangential question. Could the implantation or alteration of memories be used to benefit the world? Would it be possible to alter or implant childhood memories to improve exercise or eating habits and have people drive more safely, improving and saving lives? Is this ethical? Could we reduce the impact of trauma by changing the extent to which it's remembered? On the other hand, could corporations make you feel nostalgic about their product or associate a competitor's product with some harsh memory of public shame? Loftus has also looked at the political implications of her research. She was shaken by the reporting techniques used by the Chinese government after the Tiananmen Square massacre. She was outspoken in criticizing the parallels between the re-education strategies used by the government and her memory alteration techniques that she'd recognized through her research. The potential for good and harm that comes with our increasing understanding of memory is an ongoing source of argument within psychology, but should be far more prominent in a time when so many of our prompts for memories are centralized and controlled by people focused on profit. Facebook could suddenly brighten every photo where you're having a Pepsi, or enhance your smile in photos where you're walking out of a McDonald's. Loftus currently holds the title of Distinguished, Pref Distinguished Professor of Social Ecology at the University of California, and a professor of law and cognitive science. In these positions, she continues her work into the positive and negative aspects of memory engineering. She publishes regularly in academic and popular science publications, pushing for regulation of memory engineering. Until that legislation is introduced, I would appreciate it if you would ask each other how much you enjoyed the stories tonight, rather than whether or not you enjoyed them. Thank you. <laughs>